Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only show that dares to be both on-topic or on-premise, and sometimes on-location or on-premises. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of industry experts to discuss a single idea. On today's episode, the premise is focusing on the overall IT industry, which has heard a lot of doom and gloom lately, but frankly, we feel like maybe it's not doing quite so bad. But before we get into that, let's meet who's on the panel today. Hi, uh, I'm Andy Banta. You can find me on Twitter at Andy Banta. Been in the tech industry for quite a long time and uh, have some ideas on, on what's going on on it. Hello, my name is Nico Stein. I work in a financial institution currently. I've also been in IT for many years. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Nico A. Stein or on my blog at NicoStein.com. Hi, I'm Jeff Burke. I've been working in IT for more than 20 years, and you can find me at Cloud at Cloud Restore since I work in data protection. And I'm Stephen Foskett, uh, organizer of Tech Field Day and publisher of Gestalt IT. And also, I've got the gray hairs to prove it. So we're all old, long-term veterans here. And I, and I think that's really where it kind of comes, uh, where this whole idea comes to. Because frankly, if, if people are following the stock market, um, well, these tech companies aren't looking so great. And if you're following the news of layoffs, especially at the FANG or whatever they're calling them this week, the big you know online provider, cloudy kind of companies, Man, you would think it was the apocalypse, but you know, on the ground um, and in the data centers and 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 so on, it's maybe not quite so bad. Now, I don't want to minimize. First off, I don't want to minimize anybody's hardship because those people that were laid off have a hard time, and it's not fun, and it, you feel like you did something wrong, and you feel like it's your fault. First off, it's probably not your fault. In fact, it's almost certainly um, a decision that has nothing to do with you or your work or anything. It's probably something where you know, somebody decided to save some bucks by doing something stupid and laid you off. And I'm sorry that you're going through that. But hopefully, hopefully what's happening is that people are able to find something new and maybe something better uh, fairly quickly, because we're hearing that as well from people. We're seeing a lot of people say, hey, I got laid off. I'm open to work. And then we'll see somebody say, hey, I got this new thing. Isn't that cool? Uh, is that what you guys are seeing too? Um, who wants to start? Jeff, you want to start? Yeah. Um I, that's exactly kind of what I've seen in the sense that people will get laid off. And and you're right. It's a very traumatic experience because especially uh, some of the people I've seen have been in companies for 10, 15 years. And there's also a feeling that you've, you know, it's like a disloyalty from the company here. You gave all this time and all this work and you're just out the next day, especially some of the ways it was done. We won't name any names. Um, however, on the bright side, I very quickly have seen in my LinkedIn, you know, starting a new position at and a little exploding, you know, um, fireworks and stuff. So it's a very strange situation. On the one hand, you're right. There's this doom and gloom. On the other hand, there are jobs out there. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of see the same thing. Uh, you know, what I've heard of, of mostly are some large companies who've decided that they don't want to focus on certain parts of the industry anymore and have just shed those the people associated with that. Uh, there have been some that have been across the board, you know, we're just going to try to shrink the companies. But in a lot of cases, it's been, we're going to get rid of this function of the company. And if you work on that function in the company, uh, you're gone. And again, just like Jeff said, uh, the people that I've heard of that have run into this have had prospects almost the next day that they can talk, go talk to and a good idea of where they can go. So it's, I, I don't think that the, I, I think, I don't think the tech industry has really changed a whole lot. I think that, you know, there've been other times where 
big companies have dumped a lot of people and people have moved on. Uh, I still think overall, there's probably a net shortage of technology workers. There's more things to be done in technology than there are people to do it. Yeah, I would have to agree. Um, the way I see it in during COVID times, it was an overhiring from many companies. It was almost an overstocking from graphics card the same way. And it was a natural course correction. All the people, if you look at the statistics, we're almost at the level we were in before COVID hit in terms of employment. Um, so I do agree it's not the doom and gloom it makes out to be. Of course, it sounds very good for the news if company A lays off 20,000 people. Um, if you put in respect, if they hired 50,000 people in the past three years, I'm not naming any names. What we're probably going to talk about later and what's really said is how some companies conduct the layoffs. Um, that it was almost, I mean, no, not naming names, but um, there was no decency in the way it was done. That's really hurtful. So my heart definitely goes out to everyone who got laid off. And even if you get a job three weeks later, it's still a traumatic experience. Um, you have to settle, and especially what we mentioned, the people who worked at companies for many years, right? Not the people who leave after one year, another job, but uh, they've been there from the project beginning, five, eight years, and now you're just made obsolete. So that was pretty tough. But yeah, a lot of them have found other jobs than one might have seen a modeling than feet and talk to. Some are a lot happier than they were, and they didn't even know it before. So that's a little positive. There have been an awful lot of people who haven't really admitted this, but when COVID hit and when the work from home environment started, productivity at a lot of tech companies really did drop. So they probably were hiring more people in an effort to make up the lost productivity. It's the just the change in the way people worked caused an awful lot of, uh, of productivity loss. Yeah, and, and of course the jobs were different as well um, and, the, and the technologies. So, I mean, I think a lot of us heard about, uh, for example, Zoom, uh, who, of course, really like hired a bunch of people and leaned into it. But even companies, in my opinion, um, like Facebook and Google and uh, Amazon, uh, they hired a lot of people um, uh, during the pandemic because I think they were seeing a lot of a lot of, you know, growth, a lot of uh, a lot of use of their platforms and stuff. Uh, but of course, some of that didn't pan out or some of that came out in a different way. Um, you know, there was different uh, hiring, different purchasing decisions. Uh, we, we've heard about Apple. Um, they are an interesting case because they did not hire nearly as many people. Uh, I mean, they hired a bunch of people, but they didn't hire and grow as much as like Meta, for example, uh, just across town. Um, so they haven't had to lay people off at all or, or at least not as many. Um, and, and as you said, I think a lot of the companies have handled it really poorly. They handled hiring poorly. And then they handled, handled laying people off pretty poorly. Um, but what I want to uh, kind of transition into next is a discussion of sort of what is the trickle-down effect for the IT industry. So, um, you know, whether it's uh, Google and uh, Amazon, and, and I've heard have decided to extend the life of their servers by another year uh, instead of replacing stuff, uh, whether it's companies uh, that over-purchased and are now kind of pulling back on purchases and, of IT hardware, um, a lot of the industry has kind of evolved to basically feed the hyperscaler machine. And so, so many of these companies are really like that's their biggest single market. And if the hyperscalers stumble like they did after the pandemic, then it can have um, bang on effects about companies like household name IT companies um, in storage and networking and servers and commodity components and that sort of thing. Um, are you seeing that as well? Like, is is there a 
a, an overall trend of, of the hyperscalers no longer buying and then that's hurting the rest of the industry. I mean, I haven't seen that personally. Um, one thing I want to kind of point out, which I think is important, is that there's a lot of, in my opinion, knee-jerk reaction. I mean, we've just been through a three-year pandemic. Um, the, the expectation was that when the pandemic ends, people aren't going to be on Facebook. I mean, Google, they're going to be out walking around. They're going to be in restaurants or whatever. So obviously for a time period, there's going to be a behavioral change in purchasing, which obviously would affect the um, Facebooks and whatnot. Um, how, and that's maybe what explains why we see some areas of IT being hit and others not, because people are shifting their purchasing, shifting to balancing out. I think we'll really see what's happening in a year or two once we're totally back well, if we are totally back to normal um, in our behavioral, our IT behavior. But I haven't personally seen a massive trickle effect as opposed to 20, uh, 28, 2008, which was a massive economic disaster. Um, I saw all over the, the customers leaving left, right, and center of all sorts of different industries. So it's nothing like that at all. Yeah, I haven't seen that either yet. I think it's also, especially for IT, the past three years, we were it was so hard to get hardware, right? Like the network equipment, even from my own experience, I had to wait for Cisco gear for a year. And partly now it's starting to normalize a bit more, but there's still some uh, supply chain management issues. To just point, right? I think we're still not baseline. We're still coming out of it. We have not reached the, the new normal, whatever the new normal might be. It's not going to be exactly like it was three years ago, but we're still too fresh out of it to see how it really pans out. And plus, I think companies really don't know what to do because it's supposed to be, well, it's not supposed to be, but everything looks like a recession. And then you look at the unemployed numbers and that is everything but a recession. So companies really trying to focus on being ready for whatever it might come. We might not be in a recession. Right now, the indication, like in 2008, it was a picture, well, picture perfect, unfortunately, but you saw it coming. It hit right with everything that the waves on the cycles before that was happening. And this right now, the numbers don't match up. It really almost doesn't make sense. We should be, the unemployment should be much higher, but it is not. And then the question is what um, analysts still haven't figured out, all the people who retired before and during COVID from the workforce, where are they now? They're not, you know, there's like this big void all of a sudden. Um, maybe they all went to an island, I don't know, but it's, I think we need to wait to have it normal out and define what the new normal will be. I did want to follow up on Stephen's comment about household name computing companies. I think part of what we're seeing is that the, uh, the, the hyperscalers and the large industries don't need the household name components anymore. The, the new innovations are coming from different companies, not from, not from the big IBMs and Cisco's and those types of companies. They're, they're coming from places that like, We'll be talking about over the coming week the the CXL industry, uh, the the you know high performance uh, bus architectures that are coming along, and those aren't necessarily getting driven by the big compute companies that we were used to in the past. But they are being driven by um, some of them. I mean, so CXL, for example, was invented by Intel, and Intel has certainly been uh, hurting in terms of sales right now. But again, it's hard to attribute Intel's sales challenges to um, uh, falling off uh, hyperscaler purchases when that's still you know a huge market for them and frankly they've been a little slow to deliver on their server platforms and things like that so I mean I think that I think there are maybe other confounding factors here um, 
And 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 as you said, I think that 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 there is a lot of innovation happening. Let, let's talk about that. So, I mean, you know, you mentioned CXL. Uh, we did a season of utilizing CXL um, a podcast, weekly podcast here, where we talked about that technology. If you're not familiar with it, uh, the idea is that you can use PCI Express, the same bus that you attach peripherals inside a server, um, and you can use that same technology, at least in the next generation, version four, version five, version six, uh, to attach basically everything, uh, including memory, um, and create sort of fabrics of PCI Express that allow you to build uh, big, weird, hi hyperscale, you know, rack level, or you know, uh, hyperconverged uh, rack level, disaggregated. You know, give us some, give us some words. You can build these strange computers over a CXL fabric that have you know memory and in a separate chassis and I/O and storage and all this kind of stuff. Um, it's a very, very cool technology. It's a very, very cool field. Uh, we're going to be hearing from the CXL consortium at Tech Field Day, um, as well as a company, Memberge, that is specializing in what they call big memory systems, which is another pretty exciting area of tech right now, where basically um, you can build a server with uh, as much memory as you want, thanks to CXL, and you can then do really cool things with that memory with a technology like Memberge, like um, snapshots and moving memory around and saving it and restoring it and stuff like that. Very, very neat stuff. And I don't see them being affected by the pullback from the hyperscalers because I think that they were um, really uh, leaning into new technology and new ideas. And, and that's maybe a good direction to go for companies, right? Yeah, it, it, I, I agree with you there. Um, I did want to comment on Intel running into problems. Intel is the streamhead for so many different um, types of technology. So yes, they do. They certainly are involved in CXL. But if you're not selling as many compute boxes, you're not going to be selling as many, you know, high dollar processors, you're not going to be selling, you know, 1k processors uh, that that many times. And that that's par probably partially where Intel's problems are coming from. But I do agree things like Memberge and, uh, and various other technologies that go out and uh, and, and are taking advantage of this stuff in new ways are the ones that are actually going to be at the forefront or, you know, the, the leading edge going forward. Yeah, and for the benefit of the big players laying people off, there's all this talent available right now. So the startups, they have really good access to, hey, top engineers with a huge amount and wealth of experience, as well as not so much the industry itself. I've heard of manufacturing processings and factories, right? They're scooping up IT talent now, not to put on the conveyor belt, but to help them optimize their processes and even their technology. So they don't depend on a third party to anymore. And they figured out if I have this in-house and I can not necessarily save money, but I have this talent and I can achieve much more than depending on a service provider to do this for me. So I see a lot of startups really benefiting from the availability right now, as well as completely outside of the industry, which is, I think, is pretty amazing. I've, I haven't seen that in the past like this. Yeah, and again, what you say is right. And the other thing to keep in mind is, of course, we're in an industry which is forever evolving and changing. So how much of this is pandemic? How much of this is, you know, uh, new technologies, as all of you know, uh, IT keeps us young as we're always studying, right? So... Yeah, de definitely. It's it's really really interesting to see what kind of what what's coming down the line. Um, another area. So we mentioned you know CXL and big memory. Another area that's definitely seeing a lot of 
investment and interest is um, orchestration and I, I don't know what to call it, but kind of debugging um, complex systems. Essentially, um, you know, you, if you've got a, a distributed um, workforce, a distributed platform that's using cloud and data center and edge and everything, there's a lot of investment and a lot of interest and a lot of exciting ideas going on out there to basically get this stuff under control, whether it's determining sort of root cause um, analysis of network performance issues, whether it's orchestrating container placement, whether it's uh, cost uh, optimization. Um, there's a lot of, of really interesting stuff out there in, um, in sort of figuring out how to deal with these big dispersed systems, right? Yeah, I'll say to that, for instance, because I've been studying a lot of Kubernetes recently, um, it, it's getting so big that that is becoming the challenge. How to make, It was always a challenge, but now it's becoming an Uber challenge in the sense of how do you watch over all these things, these thousands and thousands of containers, and that goes now even the pieces of hardware, edge. And so, you know, the monitoring and the, and the analysis of the monitoring and the, the reaction to whatever happens is becoming a whole special specialty in itself, um, a whole profession. Um, so that's a very good point. Yeah, and I, I, I do think that a big part of this is that there's lots of different technologies that are coming together and people are using them, integrating them together in lots of different ways. So that's where some of the orchestration and debugging and analysis type things have to come in where you have, in, instead of like a tool or two tools from two different vendors, you now have hundred different tools from, you know, on, on 50 different types of hardware. And you need to be able to have some coherent view of this. And you need to have some way of actually building whatever process you're, you're trying to do on top of these. So the, I think the number of moving pieces has changed over the past decade, at least as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's gotten, everything's gotten so much more complicated. I always say for end users, things might look easier, right? But to just point with Kubernetes and Docker's, Docker Swarm, whatnot, um, yeah, it looks awesome, right? For end user, I just use this, consume the service. On the back end, it's gotten really complicated. And when something doesn't work, it is difficult to pinpoint which of the many moving pieces are causing this right now. So I think, yes, monitoring is tool, a uh, monitoring tool is key. But also what I experience, like, you get bombarded with the noise, right? It's great if I have all the logs, but it's completely useless if I get 50 alerts per minute. I will not look at any of these. And what I'm still not have, I haven't found it yet, maybe next week at Texel Day I will see it, is a tool that has a really good noise filter and in addition has a good remediation function, right? It's awesome if the tool shows me like, okay, we have a network latency in New York because of this, great. Can you fix it? That would be my question, right? So I kind of almost want to simplify it that I just need to click a button. I'm completely fine. I work in IT, but I'm completely fine just clicking a button and fixes it versus me getting a packet sniffer out and looking on the edge, where are the drop packets? So that's something I, a lot of people I know looking for haven't quite found it yet, but there's hope. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that, so we've got Kentic presenting, um, you know, I've always been impressed by them and their technology, and I'm really glad that they're, um, you know, they've, they've been very successful in managed service providers. Um, and I think that they're starting to apply that technology uh, to, to enterprises because enterprises are getting that big, they're getting that complicated now. And so I think that there's a, a lot of uh, opportunity there for them. Um, another uh, area, of course, as anyone in the IT industry knows, is if you're having client problems, it's DHCP. 
Um, if you're having uh, application problems, it's DNS, you know, um, it, it, that has become a greater challenge as well. This whole self-provisioning, uh, self-configuring IT systems, um, <laughs> if only, if only they actually worked. Um, so that's another one of the, the, the new companies we're going to hear from is uh, Men and Mice, uh, who are trying to figure out, trying to crack that nut. Uh, what do you guys think of that? I've seen Men and Mice. Um, I've, I'm a bit familiar with their product, and I think it has great potential because we don't even think about DHCP and DNS anymore, right? You would think we we have evolved past this. We're, why are we talking about DNS? Well, because A, it's always DNS no matter what, and it's deep down, it's a pretty complicated system. It's a bit more than just you know a text file and matching this. There's a lot of things that go on, and because it appears simple, it's not necessarily simple. And when it fails, it fails glamorously, right? Um, hello, Office 365 and Azure and AWS and all of you. Um, so there's de definitely still a lot of issues with the system. Maybe we're time for complete overhaul. I mean, most of IT infrastructure depends on ancient systems. They were not designed for this scale or for this complexity. Um, so maybe it's time for an overhaul, but um, yeah, we're still running, even on my work, work DNS, DHCP problems still occur from time to time and it's really yeah it's when you find out it's like really we're talking about this anymore and also if uh, companies keep laying off they're going to need these kind of systems because they won't have the human being to do it um and i can see nico's probably done what i've done once is turn on a linux server by accident which had his dhcp and it just started to wipe out the microsoft dhcp i don't know if you've done that before so yeah any help in that department it's great <laughs> well i think one of the things that we run into here is that when when we've taken something that's very complex and we make it simple, we we then want to take that new simple thing and build more complexity on top of it. So we end up with layers upon layers of complexity where, you know, we have something very complex providing what we think is a very simple thing and we want to build more complexity on top of it. We end up with these, we end up with a very deep stack of complex things which end up presenting a simple thing at the top and when something goes wrong in that complex things, it's very hard to find. It's uh, or when you actually want to change a small portion of it somewhere, it becomes very difficult to change something in the middle of that very complex thing. So you're talking about over engineering sometimes. I, I'm not talking about over engineering. I'm talking about the idea that I mean, it's exactly what technology is supposed to do. It's supposed to take something that's very difficult and present it in a very simple way to the user. The problem is that the issues that we run into are the users always want to build more complexity on top of what they think is a simple thing. That it's the way technology is supposed to work, but we end up with a, a cascading, cascading level of technology of uh, complex things. It's a battle between flexibility and simplicity, I think. And so, what happens always is you get simple systems, but then you want to sculpt it for your environment, and so you make it more complicated. I've done that, so. Yeah, one of the things we we heard at Edgefield Day, and I and I kind of want to put this out there for you guys to think about what you think as well. Uh, one of the things we heard at Edgefield Day was um, basically I, I don't know how to articulate it, but it seems to me like you can't half automate things. You can't half because it just makes it complex. You either have to take your hands off the wheel and let the car drive itself, or put your hands on the wheel and drive the car. It's like I see a lot of IT solutions that are trying to be um, like a co-pilot, and that's great, 
but only if you're flying. You know what I mean? It's it's like only if you're actually being involved in it. And, and I see a lot of systems fail and get overly complicated when you don't allow automation to automate and you, you're fighting it all the time. And to me, I think that's one of those kind of, again, I don't know how to articulate it, but I feel like that's one of those lessons that's creeping into IT for me. So if you if you try to half, half automate things, you're you're trying to do like job preservation. You're trying to say, okay, I'm going to automate half my job and I'm going to do the other half myself. So I actually have some work to do. I think if you actually approach automation properly, you should be approaching it with it. You should be automating yourself out of a job. You should be automating things to the point where you are no longer needed and you can go on and move on to something else. I think it maybe also just depends on, on the industry too, because I just recently had a situation where I was talking about data protection. And, and this is a good example of where you might not want to fully automate the process because you want to be able to have some choice, especially during disaster recovery. So in other words, you automate initial restores to a certain point, but you don't want to let the operator be totally removed because what if in a disaster when all sorts of choice stuff can be made, you want a different workload to come up first and it wasn't in the plan. So I think, I think you're right. We try to automate so out of a job. On the other hand, too, it's very specific to what field you're working in, I think, what industry and what you're doing. Yeah, I agree with Jeff on this one. It really depends on it to not give the final control out. And it's also a liability issue, I'm sure, right? If you work in healthcare and you automate processes, if something goes wrong, and it most likely will, um, I'm all for automation, but I think you cannot, we're not there that you can remove the human factor out of automation, not fully yet. And it seems to me, I mean, I think where I was trying to go with this, and I think that uh, just to kind of get us back on topic here of the uh, the tech recession, it seems to me that this is the area that a lot of innovation is happening, whether it's in networking or security or edge or orchestration and Kubernetes or cloud or anything. It's all about kind of dancing this line of automation. And, and I'm actually glad, Nico, that you brought in the whole out of a job kind of aspect of it, because, you know, I think there was a lot of fear that, um, you know, to speaking of a tech recession, I think there was a lot of fear that um, these tools, this, uh, you know, process, business process automation tools and, and, and so on would basically eliminate jobs. And I think that's really not happened. I think instead what we've seen is, is maybe some changes to what the jobs are. The same with AI. Um, I really don't think AI is going to, you know, eliminate the need for network engineers and so on. I think that, you know, whether it's, it's you know, hyperscalers uh, hiring too many people during the pandemic, whether it's, um, you know, tech companies uh, leaning too far into supplying hyperscalers, whether it's, you know, old school companies that are not investing in marketing, all these things, I think, are, are overreactions by companies. And then they and then they panic and they cut and they announce all this stuff. And in, in reality, what happens is over the long term, uh, technology advances and the business of IT advances. Um, is, is that what you guys are seeing? I guess one last uh, one last chance for y'all to jump in here before we close. Is, is that what you're seeing? Yeah, so I, I, I think that's part of what we're seeing. Um, you know, I think I do think that an awful lot of things are, are just, you know, realignment of, of what's going on in individual businesses as well. But I, I, I don't think this has changed in technology a whole lot ever other than, you know, we just see a lot of companies laying people off right now, but there's always this kind of roll forward in technology where, you know, you've, you've done this thing. So then you move on to the next thing and perfect that. And I, I think that's where an awful lot of what we 
we're calling the recession is actually happening right now. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I mean, for comp technology will move forward with or without us or with or without the companies, right? So the companies, the natural reaction for companies, if they're uncertain about this, is to lay people off because that's the quickest and has the most short-term return. Um, it's going to be interesting to see the companies that are not following this that were a bit wise and didn't overhire it and kind of kept a steady hand in the past and now still have a steady hand. Um, I think they will do better, definitely in the mid run. In the short term, yeah, other companies are going to tune their numbers and look looking great. But to the point of other big companies who let a lot of engineers go, without engineers, you might have a great product. Um, but clearly, automation is not there to let it run with 10 people. So um, yeah, good for other companies to pick up those engineers. And that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing, the important thing to look at here is when we're talking about layoffs and talking about this, is what's the main question for the actual person, the systems engineer or the employee? Well, I think in IT, the main question is always evolution. You can't stay put. Uh, there'll be layoffs and there'll be job hirings. But what you can't do is remain a certified Windows 2000 administrator. Um, you have to keep moving forward. And that's what I think to focus on more importantly. And the good news is there's a lot of education, free education that's out on the internet now. I've seen that when I joined IT, there was nothing free. I don't think, I don't really remember. Um, now, literally you could get a whole IT education or a re-training re, um, for free almost by yourself. So that's the positive side of things to focus on. I don't think jobs are going to go away. I think they're going to change. And so we just have to make sure that we change in the right direction with them. Yeah. And, and I think too, that the, you know, the, let's just say that the tech recession is real and people are really losing their jobs and that's really bad. But at the same time, a lot of that was the over rotation of a few companies and the pullbacks from a few companies. And I think that those companies have handled it really poorly, but uh, maybe, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and that's that they've now pulled back a lot. They've laid off a bunch of people and now those people are going to go out and, you know, make a thousand flowers bloom, right? They're going to go out there and they're going to go and work for uh, startups. They're going to get jobs in industry and they're going to, you know, basically rebuild the industry uh, to where it was because overall the economy, the global economy is pretty healthy. Uh, I, obviously there are some challenges, but I think that overall, you know, we're, we're actually looking pretty good. And I think that, uh, you know, next year at this time, we might be looking at another roaring tech economy and maybe a healthier one where, uh, you know, everybody isn't working for Meta and um, trying to find a project in AR and instead is, um, you know, working for, I don't know, an insurance company or whatever and, and trying to actually, you know, I was going to say actually do work. Do insurance companies do work? I, no offense. Insurance they produce companies, ads. But, uh, but, you know, maybe maybe they're trying to, you know, actually, uh, you know, be productive uh, in a different in a different way. So it, it seems to me like, uh, you know, the, the, as we said at the beginning, yes, there's a tech recession, but maybe it's not quite so bad as it looks because there's a lot of other cool things happening. There's a lot of startups. There's a lot of new innovation and uh, there's a lot of opportunity outside Silicon Valley. So thank you guys for joining us for this uh, episode and also at Tech Field Day. I'm looking forward to spending some time with you and, and hearing about these companies. And if you're interested in what's going on, just go to techfieldday.com and you can learn more about that. Um, before we go, uh, where can listeners continue this conversation and connect with you, Andy? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Andy Banta. And actually, I just started my own blog, uh, andybanta.substack.com. Uh, there's one article up there. There should be another one very shortly. 
and for me you can find me at on twitter at nico a stein and on my blog nicostein.com um, you can also check out gestalt it webpage there's a guest blog post or guest post for me about some cool technology so go check it out for me um, at cloud restore on twitter I'm also on Mastodon. I haven't I haven't memorized my my handle yet. Unfortunately, it's too I haven't involved. Um, also, I'm the Kubernetes corner leader on the Veeam Community Hub, so I post a lot there as well. And uh, my blog is called jeffburke.jeffburke.blog.com. Really original. Well, well, we'll we'll include links to these things in the show notes. Um, and, and as for me, you'll find me on the, the, the social media sites as S. Foskett. I am on uh, Twitter still. I am on Mastodon as well, uh, the techfieldday.net Mastodon server. You'll find S. Foskett. And of course, you'll find me on these weekly podcasts, uh, as well as our weekly Gestalt IT news rundown. So if you enjoyed this discussion, please do subscribe uh, so you don't miss an episode. Um, give us a rating and review. You'll find us in all your favorite podcast applications. You'll also find us on YouTube. We do video of these podcasts as well. Just go to YouTube slash Gestalt IT video, and you can see uh, video recordings. You can see what we look like in real life. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by GestaltIT.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to GestaltIT.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.